Good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor and it's so good to have you guys with us here today for Summer at the Gathering. Man, we're having a great time this summer. We've had the opportunity during this series to really just kind of share our hearts with you and and let you know uh, our dreams for this church and for our cities. And uh, we spent a few weeks talking about what it looks like to share our faith with those around us. And man, I'm just having a great time this summer. On top of that, I really love that video. And uh, when it's playing on Sundays, I don't ever watch it. I just hear the music. And it makes me feel while that music's playing and I'm standing here in front of you that I should have like long, beautiful hair, like wavy hair and change my name to Garth and just hang out on the beach a lot. And so that's just kind of how I think. So welcome if it's your first Sunday here. You're going to have to get used to that. Today is Connect Sunday. Man, we're excited about Connect Sunday for two reasons. Uh, The first reason is that on Connect Sunday, we do this a couple times a year. We like to, there's not very many. We think it's pretty easy to get connected at the gathering already. But a couple times a year, we like to make it unbelievably easy to get connected at the gathering church. You know, what we really believe is that a church is a family. And it's not supposed to be something that you just watch and observe, but really it's supposed to be something that you're a part of, that, that we want you to experience community like never before. And to do that, you've got to get connected with what's going on here at the gathering. And so on Connect Sunday, we just try to remove all the barriers that exist and make it easy for you to join this family. So right after service, you go outside. We've got seven booths set up where you can get information on different ways you can join the dream team here at the gathering, what our life groups are like, and every other way that you could get connected. We've got information about right outside on your way to your car today. And on top of that, and the second reason I'm excited, is not only do we have information, we have ice cream, which is so much better than information. Am I right? We've got ice cream. We've got the Napoleon ice cream, which is chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. Everyone knows it was Napoleon's favorite type of ice cream. That's why they named it after him. And then we got all kinds of toppings, new toppings at each station. And so uh, you can choose your favorite team based on what kind of toppings they're providing for you and get connected this Sunday. Man, we, we are so excited. Today, what I want to talk about in relation to Connect Sunday is maybe, maybe you've been watching from the outside, or maybe you've even gotten on the inside and you're starting to just kind of wonder, why, why do these people behave this way? Why, why does it work this way? Why is there such an energy around the dream team here at the Gathering Church? What, what, what does it mean to be a part of it, and why, why do people get so excited about it? And so I, I think at the heart of that is really that on this team and in this church are so many people with such a, a clear heart of a servant. And so what I want to talk about this morning is what it looks like and what it means to really be a servant. And I want to talk about the why, and I want to talk about how for a few minutes. This morning, I want to talk a little bit about the the, the reason for our purpose. You know, we talk about purpose a lot here at the Gathering Church, especially in the summertime. We kind of use the summer usually as, as as a season to really talk about purpose. We have a a really clear pathway that we talk about often at the gathering that we want to lead every person down. And that's that they might know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. And so throughout the year, we, we, we choose specific seasons to kind of hone in on one area of that pathway. Summer 
is our time to talk through purpose. And I believe God wants to teach us more and more every day about our purpose and our creation. I believe He wants us to understand more and more about the purpose of our church and this church and all of it. And so we talk a lot about that. And I think a lot of times folks get really excited when we talk about purpose. I, we, we hear the most buzz and energy around messages about purpose. And I know why. It's because when we hear somebody talk about purpose, we, we all often automatically think, oh, yay, this one's about me. And we like that, you know, because sometimes there's the messages that are a little bit challenging and they're about you in the way you didn't want them to be. You know, it's like we were going to not talk about that. And now you're talking about it, you know, or, or there's messages that are about other people, you know, and then involve other people. Or there's messages about money and you're like, ah, no. And so I think we like purpose because it makes us feel like, hey, yeah, I can do this. I was made for this. Let's do it. But I think often we get a little bit mixed up because we think that our purpose and the purpose that we're meant to discover is for us. We think that it's something that will make us better, will lift us up, will, will give us significance, will do all these things for us. You know, I have a, a nephew named Jace. Jace is exactly the same age as my daughter Eleanor. They're three weeks apart, so he's three years old. Now, uh, he's got an older sister named Amy, and after Jace was born, mom and dad said, that's probably enough kids. You know, and so right now, the plan is for Jace to stay the youngest. In the meantime, I've had a baby uh, for, I did it, my wife did, I did very, I was there, I was like, oh my gosh, but you know, I wasn't as active as she was in the whole thing, and she had a baby, and that baby's name is Dagny, and Dagny is four months old. Well, when she was two months old, we decided to take a trip down to Charleston, where all my family lives, so that she could meet my sisters. I've got a younger and an older. I'm a middle child. That should explain some things. And so uh, we brought her down there, and Eleanor and Jace are playing outside, and my sister Lauren, Jace's mom, is holding Dagny, and you know she's just loving on her, and she's so she's such a great aunt. You know she's always just loving on my kids, and she's loving on Dagny, and just 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 enjoying her presence, and Jace comes running inside, and Jace sees me first, you know, and he's talking to me about dinosaurs, he's like, yada, 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 stegosaurus, or something, and then he sees his mom, and he goes, thanks, mom, it's my baby, you got me a sister, he was so excited, because he was so sure that baby was for him. I had to spend the whole rest of the day trying to convince him that it was my baby, not his baby. I said, Jace, that's my baby. He said, no, it's not my baby. And I'm like, no, I'm arguing with a three-year-old trying to reason. He didn't get it. Here's the thing. I think a lot of times we get so excited when we discover our purpose because we think it's for us. But what I want to talk about today is that your purpose is not yours and it's not for you. And if you make it for you, you won't live to the full extent of that purpose. Your purpose is God's and it belongs to him and it's made to glorify him. And it's going to do that by serving the people that he loves. Your purpose is in you to serve others. And so today I want to look at John chapter 13. John chapter 13 is, <clears throat> is John's account of what happened at the Last Supper. 
And so the, the Last Supper is in all the Gospels. And, you know, the other three guys, when they wrote their Gospels, their goal really was to tell us what happened. You know, here's what happened and why. And it's, it, they're great. I love Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I mean, I mean, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're awesome. They're wonderful. Uh, Mark is my namesake. John Mark was his full name. It's, it's worth noting. You know, we're the same, he and I. And, but John, John, he didn't want you to know what happened. He wanted you to know how Jesus made you feel. And so in his gospel, there's all these different details that I think are so special. And when he talks about the Last Supper, he doesn't just tell you about the details of the Last Supper. He records all the conversations and the events that took place at that event. And one thing in particular is that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples before they ate. You see, in ancient Israel, they didn't have chairs at the dining room table. This is terrible. I'm going to describe something truly upsetting for you. Before chairs, tables were about this height right here. And there were like pillows all around. And people would lounge at the tables with their feet just kind of beside them. I'm telling you, you're sitting there trying to eat. And somebody's feet are right here. It was total foot anarchy. Just feet everywhere. And just, just all up around you while you're eating in your business. Just feet. Feet, and I'm going to let you know something about me. I hate feet. I hate clean feet. I don't. You, if my wife will get out of the shower and have scrubbed her feet to make them clean, get in bed and put her feet under my legs. This is a thing that wives do. She puts them under my legs, and I karate chop her in the shins and say, "Get those disgusting feet off of me." I just showered. I don't care if you showered. Their feet. And these guys were not, they did not have clean feet. And they're, at, they're trying to eat. And so they, they're wearing sandals, they're barefoot. There's no asphalt at the time. I don't know when asphalt was invented. It was not there in ancient Israel. And so they're walking around in dirt and mud all day. Let me let, me let you think about this one. How many toilets do you think there were in ancient Jerusalem? Not many. Where did people go to the bathroom? I don't know. What were they stepping in with their bare feet? You think about it. And so these disgusting feet are coming into the place, and they're preparing to lounge on the ground with their feet right next to somebody else. Are you understanding how upset this makes me? And so there was a tradition, a, 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 a custom, you know, similar to if you came to my house, I would expect you to wash your hands before eating. Now you know, okay? And so there was a custom, they would come in and there would be a servant and this would be the lowest servant in the household, a new guy servant, a servant who just, just came into servanthood or a young boy or something like somebody who nobody really looked at in the eyes, somebody who had just a long way to go before life was anywhere near good for them. And this person's responsibility at supper time was to take the shoes off the feet of the guests and scrub their feet with a cloth over a wash basin. It was a horrible job to do. But Jesus took the position of that servant at this dinner. So let's look at this story. And then um, I, I want us to learn a few things from it as we go. And so the first thing that I want you to see is that it's not about us. It's not. It's not about us. And it never was. And it never should be. Look at John chapter 13 with me, verses 3 through 16. Jesus knew 
that the Father had put all things under His power, and He had come from God and was returning to God. Do you know why John puts that statement in right before the story? Because he needs to make sure the reader understands what's about to happen here. See, Jesus wasn't confused about who He was. He knows He is the Son of God. Jesus has the highest position there is. And yet, he's about to take the lowest position in the household. He knows all things are under his power. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Consider the sentence. Jesus says, I know I am the Son of God, that all things are under my power. So as a result of that, clearly, I'm going to wrap a towel around my waist and start touching your disgusting feet. (laughs) After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, no, you weirdo, I'm just washing your feet. (laughs) He said, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, although not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said, not everyone was clean. Understand this. Jesus knows he is God. He knows that he was there at creation and he will be there at the end. Jesus knows all things are under his power. He puts a towel around his waist and starts washing the feet of the people who are following him. And then he says that he doesn't only do that. He washes the feet of Judas Iscariot who is going to betray him that night so that he would be crucified tomorrow. Jesus serves even the people who least deserve to be served. There is a lesson here for us. It says, When he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jesus is just trying to teach these guys the same thing he's been trying to teach them for the last three years at this point. It's not about them. It's not about them. It's not about who they're going to be. It's not there. To, they're not in this for glory or fame or riches. It's not about them. Just four days earlier, they were walking to Jerusalem just before Palm Sunday. And on the way, the disciples who've been with Jesus for three years still believe that Jesus is going to, as the Messiah, overthrow the Roman government and establish himself as the king, physical king, over Israel. And that they'll all be his lords and his generals and his governors. And so in this conversation... 
they're arguing over who's going to have the highest positions of prominence in Jesus' kingdom. Jesus has been discipling these guys for three years, and they still don't get it. Discipleship takes a long time. Anyways, Jesus is discipling them, and, and they're arguing over who's going to have prominence. And so Mark 10, 42 through 45 says, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom For many, it's not about you. It's not about you. Jesus, the Son of Man, is saying, if you want to do this, you're going to have to learn to be a servant. If you want to be great, which it sounds like you do, you're going to have to learn how to be last. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Jesus is saying, guys, listen up. I just want you to understand that it's not about you. I'm trying to get you to see that this life is not for your gain and your benefit. I'm trying to help you see that the purpose in your creation is not a purpose that would glorify you or make your name great or make you famous or rich or any of it. Jesus is saying, I'm trying to help you see that I'm not calling you to be personally lifted up. I'm calling you to lift up others. I'm not calling you to be served. I'm calling you to, to be a servant. If you want to follow me, you're going to have to learn how to put yourself after other people. And now Jesus, in this moment where he's washing their feet, is taking on the position of the lowest servant in the household and washing their stinky feet because he just wants to help them understand that when we serve, it's not because there's something in it for us, but it's because we want something for them. It's because the way you communicate love to somebody is by serving them and serving them selflessly. It's because Jesus is on his knees washing their feet. And you got to know, this is a disgusting thing to be doing. Listen, they didn't have toenail clippers. You ever thought about this? How did they trim their toenails? I don't know. Most of these guys have toe fungus. I can guarantee that. I know how toe fungus, and so Jesus is washing feet, and the toenails are all yellow, and they're wavy. You know when they look like the ocean in a polluted sea? That's what he's doing. Yeah, it's terrible. I want you to understand how I think about it when I read this verse. It's sick, and he's doing this for them, because he's just trying to help them understand the depth of the way that he loves them. Like he's just trying to help them see this is what leadership looks like. If you want to know what it looks like to lead somebody well, do for somebody else what I'm trying to do for you. He wants to help them understand 24 hours from then when he was about to hang on a cross for them that the reason he was doing that was to serve them well. He just wants them to see it. And he's been trying for three years to get this image through their mind. And his hopes are, if I'll get on my knees and I'll scrub the grossest thing in the world, these feet, maybe they'll know how much I love them. Maybe they'll know how they can show that kind of love to somebody else. Maybe they'll understand 
the way God loves them. And it'll give them a, an incentive to carry a love like that on to somebody else. Second thing I want you to see is that you were made for this. You were made for this. This, serving people, it's the purpose in your creation. It's, 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 that, it's that void you've been trying to fill. The thing you've been looking for. The, the, the meaning you've been after. The, 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 the need you have inside of you that you can't put words to. It comes from your need to use your purpose to serve others. Galatians 5.13, it says, You, my brothers and sisters, we're called to be free. And isn't that good news? We're called to be free. So freedom is what Jesus offers. Jesus wants to bring freedom to the captives, the freedom from the sins and the addictions and the habits that have followed you your whole life. Freedom from the anxiety and the unrest and the, and the longing that you feel every day. Freedom from that unending feeling like there has to be something more than this. He wants you to have freedom. And that's what Jesus died to give you, was freedom. You were bound up, a slave to your sin. Jesus went to the cross, and those chains broke. That's what he does for us. But look, Paul says, listen, you're free, but don't abuse that freedom. If you want to stay free, you've got to live free. And if you want to do that, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. That's what it looks like. Nobody has more freedom than Jesus. He created everything. He's got freedom you've never dreamed of before. What did he do with that freedom? He got on his knees and he took a cloth and he washed the feet of his followers. Serve one another humbly in love. And you've got an assignment inside of you. You've got, you've got a purpose inside of you. Ephesians 2.10 says we are God's handiwork. You could translate that word masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You've got an assignment to serve others. You're made for it. And you, you know, I hear people often, they, they struggle with this part of Christianity because they think this is hard to die to myself, to, to serve others. I, I really want, I want to just do things for me, but I'm telling you, you don't want that. You don't want that. You were created to serve and you can't go against the nature of your creation. My, my wife's grandpa has a dog named Quigley. Quigley is an Aussie doodle. Poor dog. <laughs> Doodle. Anything with doodle at the end of it. I just feel like this is so embarrassing for dogs. They go to like a dog convention and the dog's like, hey man, what are you? Oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a German pincher. You know, I'm a Doberman pincher. I pinch things. And people are like, hey, what are you? Yeah, I'm a golden retriever. So I'm basically made out of gold. And, hey, what are you? I'm an Aussie doodle. It's got to be really embarrassing. And this dog is part Australian shepherd, which is a sheep dog, and part poodle. And the poodle part makes him floofy, and the Australian shepherd part is what kind of gives him his personality, okay? And so this Aussie doodle lives on Grandpa's farm. Grandpa's got a, a nice farm down in South Carolina. He's got some cows on the farm. Now, Grandpa's dream is for Quigley to help him drive those cows. Now, a dog that is made to drive cows will help push the cows forward in the direction the rancher needs them to go. However, 
Quigley, Grandpa laments to me as he's talking about him, just keeps going around the cows in circles, circling them up. Just keeps circling them up. Cows don't need to be in a circle. Cows are strange animals anyway. You get them in a circle, they get weirder. And so you just keep circling them up. But Grandpa needs them to go this way, but now they're all trapped right here. And Quigley can't help it because he's a shepherd and he circles animals, which is what a shepherd dog does for sheep. You need sheep in a circle. You need cows in a line. But he is not a cattle rancher, Australian. He is a shepherd. He goes for sheep. He cannot fight the design of his creation. He's going to do what he was created to do. It does not matter what Quigley wants for himself. It does not matter what grandpa wants that dog to do. The dog is a shepherd. He's going to circle the animals. You understand you were created to serve and you are going to serve something. What are you going to serve? Are you going to serve yourself? You're going to fail at that. It's going to turn into something else. You'll serve addiction. You'll serve money. You'll serve your job. You'll serve sex. You'll serve somebody else, which will only break your heart. You will serve things that are only going to leave you feeling more empty, more torn down, more broken, with more emptiness inside of you than when you started. If you serve in the way you were created to serve, instead of feeling empty, you will feel full. Instead of a, a dis, you know, one of the things I notice in dogs is when you try to make them do what they weren't created to do, they get antsy, they get anxious, they get un, unsettled, unhappy. You ever seen this? They get nippy, they, they, they bite at things, they're, they're not settled, they won't settle down. But you get a dog doing what it was made to do, and it's peaceful, and it's fulfilled, and it's happy. And I'm just telling you, you're just not as different from Quigley as you think you are. <laughs> you were made to serve. And when you serve, you will find the meaning of your creation. The, the, the position of your purpose is not for yourself, it is for others. You were created for it. Romans 12, 6-8 talks about gifts. Because we've all got these gifts inside of us. And here's the other thing, you were created to serve others and you were given a specific way to do it. A specific way that is perfect for you, you've got all these gifts inside of you, and you know you do. You're good at things. Certain things you're good at, some people are not good at. They make you different. They make you unique. They're these things. Some of them you were born with. They're natural gifts. Some of them are, are gifts that you got from the Holy Spirit when you gave your life to Jesus and the Spirit came to live inside of you. Those gifts exist to allow you to use them to serve others. And when you put those gifts to work serving others, you will find the fulfillment and the meaning that you have been searching for. Third thing is this. It's not an option. It's not an option. Serving is not an option. If you want to live a life that honors God, serving is not an option. If you want to follow Jesus, you are going to have to live a life that serves others. I think too often... I meet Christians that want to receive what Jesus has to offer them. And they, they want to be a Christian, but they want to be a, an observer. They want to be able to watch and, and learn and be fed and all these different things. But they don't want to take part in Christianity. Because what it means to follow Jesus is to live like Jesus. That's the definition of following Jesus. And Jesus, the Son of God, 
devotes his entire life to his last moment to serving others. If we are going to follow Jesus, we have got to serve others. Matthew 16, 23 through 26 marks a moment where Jesus lost a lot of followers because he made a comment that freaked people out because the reality is so many of us have a hard time with this this idea that our lives aren't our own, that we're we're meant to put them on, on an altar for God and that we're meant to put our needs behind the needs of somebody else, that that's what servanthood is. We struggle with it. So many people walk away as a result. There's a story in the Bible of a young man who's very wealthy. And he goes up to Jesus and says, I've kept the Ten Commandments my whole life. I want to follow you. Tell me what I have to do. And Jesus says, okay, go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and then come follow me. He's testing his ability to serve. He's testing who he serves. And it says the young man was very sad and walked away because he had much wealth and he didn't want to give it away. You see, I think a lot of times we're excited about the idea of Christianity. The freedom, it resonates with us. We know in our, in our inner beings that we were created for a relationship with God, and so we connect with it. But then we start to learn what, can, what a, a relationship with God looks like, that it's service, and that scares us. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now the cross was a death instrument for one. And so that was a very terrifying thing to say to people before he had been crucified. He said, take up your cross and follow me. But the, the, the imagery was really clear. He was telling them they were going to have to die to themselves. That you were going to have to choose to put yourself, your needs, to death. The other thing is that the cross was Jesus's purpose, is Jesus's purpose. His purpose in his time on earth was to go to the cross so that you and I could have relationship with him. That's what he came for. He came and all the things that he did, it was for the purpose of going to the cross so that my sins would be forgiven so I could be in a relationship with him. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, bring your purpose with you and come follow me. And whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus is saying, listen, 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 listen. I want you to give up everything. Everything. I want you to be willing to die for me. I want you to serve others with your whole life for your whole life. I mean, I don't want you to hold anything back. I think if the question's either us or them, it's always them. Always. That's what I want you to do. But I want you to know that if you lose your life for me, you will find it. Because I know a lot of people who live to serve themselves, who live in constant pursuit of self. And I can tell you that no matter how happy they tell you they are, or that they may seem up front, inside something is missing. And they just keep searching, and they just keep plugging holes, and they just keep trying to find some way to add meaning to their life. They try philanthropy, they try all these different things, and it just isn't enough. Something is missing when you live your life to serve yourself, when your needs are always at the top. But Jesus says, if you will stop doing that and lose your life for me, I promise you will find it. 
You will find what you have always been looking for. What's the last thing he says after he washes their feet? 317, the end of this part of the story. Jesus has just washed their feet and he said, do like I've done for you because no servant is greater than their master. I'm your master and I've just served you, so you're going to serve everybody forever. And then he says, now that you know these things, you you will be blessed if you do them. You will be blessed if you do them. It's mandatory, but it comes with a blessing. It's mandatory, but it comes with a blessing. I I was in the Coast Guard nine years, like I've told you every Sunday since you've been coming here. (laughs) Just all my stories, I'm sorry. It's a long time. Nine years into the church, maybe I'll be out of stories. Um, But uh, but anyways, I, I took a lot of orders. I was given orders all the time. People gave me orders all the time. Here's what I learned about orders. They're mandatory but they come with a punishment if you don't do them. That's not how it works. That's orders. That's not how it works in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, this is mandatory, but it comes with a blessing. And not just a blessing, all the blessings. When you serve, you will find the significance that you have dreamed about. When you live your life in service, you will find the one thing that men will spend fortune searching for in this life, and that is peace. When you serve people with your life, you will find joy. This isn't just Jesus. Sociologists believe this. There's something called the hierarchy of needs in sociology. And originally, the top need was thought to be self-realization, knowing your purpose. But they added something a few years ago to it. Instead of it stopping at self-realization, they realized that wasn't enough. Even if you know your purpose, that's not enough. People still want more. The last thing that is the need that people have is transcendentalism, meaning using your purpose to serve someone outside yourself. It's not just Jesus. We know this everywhere. This is the truth. If you want to feel whole, live your life serving somebody else. We're created to serve. I want you to understand that today. We were made to serve. Here's, here's what I believe. And so that's, that's maybe now, you know, that's my, that's my argument as to why we should serve all the time. And here, here, let me tell you how. Let me give you a couple hows. And so first, I think you should serve all the time everywhere. All the time everywhere. That's kind of where I think, if you're wondering what's the context of where I'm supposed to serve like this, I believe the answer is all the time everywhere. Now, what that means is, is I think that oftentimes um, we, we, we will be in traffic or something, and we'll think, this is probably an okay time for it to be about me. And you're over there where 26 and 40 and 240 are all coming together and it's a real disaster of an interstate. And somebody's coming this way and you get over here and somebody wants to merge. You get over here and somebody wants to merge. And every time I get to that place, I think, "Mm, this is a me thing, right? I'm going to get my car in front of you because you had your chance. But I think what it looks like if you really want to be a servant is just saying, okay, you go ahead, buddy. You know what? You go ahead too. You know what? You go ahead too, buddy. And just letting somebody get in front of you without ever showing them any of your fingers. They can all just stay on the wheel. (laughs) I think being a servant all the time everywhere means going to a restaurant. Here's what I know about Asheville is is that there's a real kind of culture. Never mind. I'm not going to say all those things. But but here's what I know. 
about restaurants here. Sometimes the service moves a little slow because we're in the mountains and we don't, need to, we don't need to be quick about it. Slow down and enjoy yourself. And sometimes, occasionally, you'll have a bad server who has a bad attitude, who makes you have a bad attitude. And you want to let that person know about your unpleasant time through their tip. And I just think if you want to be a servant all the time everywhere, it means no matter how grumpy somebody else is, you shower them back with kindness and love and peace and everything that they're hungry for that day. And that when you go to leave, you leave them the same kind of tip you would have if they gave you a foot washing before the meal. I just think you need to be a servant all the time, everywhere. I think if you're married, it means when it's time to wash the dishes, instead of arguing over whose turn it is, you're arguing over who's going to serve the other person better that night. I just think it means being a servant all the time, everywhere. Now, I also think that if you're going to serve, that serving, it works the best, it has the greatest impact in the context of the local church. So I think you should serve all the time everywhere, and I think you should especially serve your church. Let me tell you why. Because the church is the body of Christ. And by, by ourselves, we're kind of like an appendage that's disconnected. Now, unlike those appendages, we can still make a difference on our own. I believe that. But I think when we're all together, oh, we, may, we can make an impact. I think cities can change. I think communities can change, neighborhoods can change, governments can change when the church does what it was made to do. I think the impact is greater. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink, even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. All of Corinthians tells this story about the body. We're supposed to be a body together. You know, when I was in the Coast Guard, again, one time I was going up to the bridge. I was on the ship, and I was going up to the bridge where you steer the boat from. And going up to the bridge, there was a door that uh, it was a ceiling door, watertight, but instead of like the big like handle, it was just like a normal door, so it was hinged, so it would snap shut really quickly. And there was a knife edge there, so you had to be careful. Well, I'm going up. My friend RJ is right behind me. He's an electrician. And RJ is coming up behind me, and I go through the door, and I hear it slam behind me. And I'm going on. All of a sudden, I hear screaming. And I think, what's that screaming? And I turn around, and I open the door, and two things fall out. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, what's that? And I reach down, and I pick it up. And it's one of those things. I'm looking at this thing in my hand. I'm like, what am I looking at? And it was his fingers. <laughs> Just two of them from the knuckle up. And I'm just staring at him, and I learned something as I was looking at those fingers. Body parts cannot perform the function they were created to if they're not created, connected to the body they were created to be connected to. I'm just trying to tell you that disconnected body parts don't serve the purpose they were made to serve. Soak that in for a minute. RJ's fine. He, they stitched him back on. He's still an electrician. Things are great, okay? People needed to know that in the first service. They were all worried. No one could move on. Get connected to the church. Find a place on the dream team where your gifts will thrive and connect yourself to it so you can grow and so you will find satisfaction and so you can serve somebody else for the purpose of that person. 
I had a, a, a conversation with, uh, and I'm sorry, guys, I'm just going to keep going. You just do your thing. Um, I had a conversation with, uh, with our staff recently. We're always trying to develop people. It's like a fever on our staff. We want to see people be the best versions of themselves. And it's just what we want. And, and a lot of times we, we see like a position somebody could go to. And so we start moving them towards that position. And our conversation was, hey, guys, let's make sure that as we develop people on this staff, as we serve people here, let's make sure that it's never for the position we're trying to serve and develop them towards. Let's make sure that every time we serve somebody by discipling and developing them, that we're doing it for them. That it doesn't matter where they're going. We just want to see them moving forward. That, that's our heart. We just want to serve people for people. See, I believe that's what Jesus has called us to. So I just think there's so many ways you can get connected to the dream team that will fit your gifts and your purpose and that will make you come alive in serving. If you've got this gift where you can just make people feel warm and welcome all the time right away, that's the gift of hospitality. And, and, and that, that's the gift to make people feel wanted and welcomed. And if that's you, we want you on our first impressions team. A lot of times the first compliment that I get when people come here is that they felt welcomed right away. That's because we put people who are gifted at making people feel that way, not just at our front doors, but in the parking lot. Like Philip Roop, who has served with a lightsaber in our parking lot since we've started making people feel welcome the moment they pull onto the property. Or I could tell you about Liz Wiederhold, who serves out there at the Connect Center, who, who will break cookies when you didn't ask her to bake cookies. Do you want to know how to make somebody feel loved and valued? You bring them a cookie they didn't ask for. I'm telling you right now. You, there's so many ways. You could join our coffee team and serve with Maya. Maya, if you serve on her coffee team, she will bring you to her house so she can personally invest in you and show you value. There's so many people that serve so well on this team. We have a production team you could be a part of. There's all these guys doing all this stuff, and there's those guys back there. Andrew Moore is one of our sound guys that serves back there, and Andrew Moore is the perfect example of somebody who has a heart like Jesus to serve people for the sake of being a servant. I, I'm responsible for making sure I've got batteries in this pack back here. That's a reasonable thing to ask me to do. I forget all the time. And I was up here one Sunday and my batteries died. And, and that was my fault. But Andrew looked at it and he said, no, that's going to be something I can fix. And so now if you want to find Andrew, you can find him hunting me down between services to change the batteries in my pack because he just wants to find new ways to serve somebody. Maybe you've got gifts like teaching and encouragement. Maybe you're a fun person. I think that's a gift from God to be a fun person. If you're a fun person, you could serve in our kids' ministry downstairs and have an impact that will last for generations. There's a guy down there that serves named Bob Liddell. And Bob Liddell is down there chasing pastor's kids who won't listen to anybody. They're the worst pastor's kid. They're great. We love our kids. They're wonderful, but they don't listen. And Bob is chasing them down. And I say, Bob, how was it today? It was great, man. I had a great time. We had fun. He's smiling the whole time. Aaron Wilson serves down there in the baby's room. He's a high school student. 
And Aaron is the baby whisperer. In fact, he does so well with Robert Knight, our, our production pastor's baby, Jericho. I'm worried Jericho is going to imprint on Aaron and think Aaron is his dad. You don't have to have kids to serve in kids' ministry. I'm just telling you, just imagine the impact you can have down there. What if, when you were a kid, somebody led you to believe that you had value, real value? What if, when you were a kid, somebody led you to believe you had purpose, that there was a father who would pursue you relentlessly until the day you entered relationship with him? If I had understood that as a kid, I would have a lot less regrets today. And you can be a part of that for somebody. I just want you to get connected. I want you to serve somewhere and serve well. Serve for the sake of serving. I want you to just get connected in a way that is going to change people's lives. And in the process, I promise it'll change your life. Three things. Serve selflessly. Just serve selflessly. That's how Jesus served you. He just, he just, got, he just got down on his hands and knees and served people, not for his sake, but for others. He's God. He didn't need relationship with me, but he, he did everything he did for the sake of relationship with me. And so I should serve just as selflessly. Serving selflessly, uh, we can serve selfishly. Did you know that? That's when you serve to make yourself look better or when you serve because somebody talked you into it. I don't want you to serve because I'm talking you into it. I want you to serve selflessly. Serving selfishly is when we serve and, and we, you know, we want it to work around our schedule and around our time and we don't want to step too far out of our comfort zone and we don't want to do things unless we're specifically asked to do them. Serving selflessly means what can I do to improve somebody's day? What can I do to help somebody move up to the next level? What can I do to make somebody feel valued or loved today? And I will do anything, whatever, whenever, however, however long, no matter what it takes, I'm going to give myself to this. That's what it means to serve selflessly. Serve people who don't deserve it. Number two, serve people who don't deserve it. Serve people who don't deserve it. Jesus, on his knees, gets to Judas Iscariot. And he just knows that, I don't know how long, 30 minutes, an hour, not long from that moment, Jesus, Judas was going to go take silver for Jesus' life. And he scrubbed his feet until they were absolutely clean. In the same way that he did for James, the brother of John, who would be the first person to die for Jesus. Same treatment. Serve people who don't deserve it. Who in your life does not deserve your servant heart? Give it to them. Serve because Jesus served you. Last thing. Just serve because Jesus served you. When I deserved it the least, when my sins were the most prevalent, Christ died for me. So how could I go on one more minute in my life living for myself, knowing that? serve because of what he's done for us do for others what Jesus has done for you sacrifice your life for them sacrifice your time for them sacrifice your comfort for them do it because it was done for you I just believe that if we could get the spirit of a servant our whole city could change our whole city could change I just think that people who are hurting could find healing. I just think marriages that are breaking 
could be bound back together if we just serve people well. I mean, I just don't think you need to have all the answers. I think if you serve people well, those who felt hopeless could find hope again. I just don't think you need to know everything that the Bible says. I think if you serve people selflessly, even the ones that don't deserve it, they're going to see who Jesus is. They're going to know the heart of the Father that cares for them. That's all I want us to do. Today after service, go down there, hit one of those tables, talk to somebody, build a relationship, find a spot on the dream team, and let's change this city together. I just believe we can do it. I wouldn't be here if I didn't think that if we do this thing together, the heart of this city will change. Let's do it. Let's do it together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are and for what you've done for us, God. We thank you, Father, for the sacrifice you've made for us, God. That you are a God, that you are a creator, that you are a king who is not above washing feet. And so, Father, I ask that you would change my heart. That, God, in me you would find a servant. Somebody that would do even the things that make me uncomfortable. The things that make me unsettled. The things that that threaten to steal my comfort, Father, but would give me satisfaction. God, I just ask that you would change my heart to make me more like you. Lord, open my eyes to see opportunities to serve every single day. Put people in front of me that I can serve, that I might become more and more like you and less and less like me. I love you, Father. I glorify your name and worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen.